I'm Cody. And I'm Raul. And we are coming to you from our home at KZUM Lincoln, KZUM HD. And that is the very special, very new home of the Real Psychobabble podcast. What, what? We are now in episode seven of season 2.5. Episode seven. Yes. We are making our way downtown, walking fast through season two. Uh, We are joined today by a very special guest, a friend of the show who has... I guess the the dubious honor of being our first two-time featured guest. Yeah. Um, if you nice. have babbled with us for a while, you might have heard our episode three from season one. Um, we reposted that if you would like to go listen to it again. But joining us today is Dr. Lisa Court Butler. So thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks. thanks for asking me back. Yeah, so we previously talked about a, probably, I mean, we, we say it, most frequently, I think now, um, our favorite episode we've ever done. It was Thank a really you. fun episode. Thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. this was like, you know, we were still in the baby stages of this whole podcasting, podcasting. thing. I mean, the sound quality was so bad on that one, yes. just because we didn't record at the Psycho Babble Studio. We didn't. Yeah, we, we were, were in a little conference room. We yeah. were. Yeah, and the noise just just went everywhere. Yeah. So and yeah. we had brand new mics and we were, we were learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it was it was a cool turning point for us because it was like. Oh, like maybe this is something we could do with. And so now here we are, like a little over a year later, upgraded our studio, upgraded our mics. And we are here to talk about your research, which I think you have arguably one of the coolest jobs in academia with what you get to research. So can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you do? Sure. Um, And cool is arguable because my kids don't understand why I get paid to watch TV, and they don't. (laughs) Um, But uh, my work's a little bit is varied. So I have the more serious, well, what some people would say is more serious kind of research on uh, media representations of crime and how that shapes public opinion. And I do some work on health and well-being among uh, adolescents and young adults. And then I do the more what I think is the more fun and more interesting thing uh, in in visual criminology, uh, and specifically recently, anyway, looking at relooking again at uh, Batman cartoons. Yes, I mean your job is to watch cartoons. Yeah. Yes. And not only that, <laughs> a lot of DC universe. So I'm super jealous that I didn't pick sociology and working yeah. under you. I mean, but I love suits. There's, too, so I can't there's say a balance that. of like I been watching a lot of DC Universe stuff, but then I, I recently finished a project watching presidential campaign ads for the past Ooh. 50 years, Ooh, and that wasn't very <laughs> uplifting or fun. <laughs> yeah, um, Really interesting and important work, but sometimes when you do research, your brain needs a break from yeah. doing serious, um, heavy stuff and doing something that, while still relevant, mm. is just get your brain into a better, right. better place. Right, so well, do you feel like when you're, if you're going to like, you know, the new Joker movies coming out yes. or if you're going to watch a new iteration of the Batman, which um, I think Robert Pattinson is, that's a So thing. they've said. Uh, can you like turn it off, the um, research brain? No, because, <laughs> um, yes and no. So I, yes, can enjoy things, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> can you? Um, I can enjoy movies, but I always see those, I think anybody who's in our fields will see those those sorts of cues and, and clues. Um, you know, I mean, I was just uh, my colleague Brandon Bosch and I were just talking this morning about um, all of the 
controversy, quote unquote, that's come up around Joker mm-hmm. and what kind of project we could do out of that. Right. And so, um, yes, we're both interested in the movie and, and are going to see it. But we're also interested in all the kind of sociological and he's a political scientist and, and the kind of political implications of how we talk yeah. about movies like that. Uh, definitely. Yeah. I, I, yeah. You, you have a cool job. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, for sure. Cool. I want to also quickly add that my dad is in the studio too. He has we're a live audience right now. Pop audience. of the show, so he may chime in every now and then, but he does. He doesn't like to hear his voice on <laughs> on the radio. So, say hi, Pop. Hi. <laughs> it's like Bruce Willis yeah. in the Fifth Element. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So you know, in our, our previous episode, we talked about Batman, and more specifically. Uh, the whole idea of one bad day and how um, like villainy and mental illness is represented. So we're back with our resident Batman expert again, talking about a a project you recently completed that you presented on, uh, titled Batman. Uh, the where do I have it here? Batman's animated brains. Um, so you presented this at probably one of the coolest conferences ever, um, Batman and popular culture. Um, yes. So tell us a little bit more about that project and kind of what you did to uh, complete that. Yeah, I, let me first give a shout out to the uh, folks in the pop culture department at Bowling Green State University where the conference was. Yeah, I want to hear um, more about that. Yeah, it was a, we could talk more about it. It was a great mix of uh, academics and, you know, they had comic uh, writers, comic um, artists, people from all walks of life uh, at this conference. And it was Really fun because we're all just nerding out the whole time. So, um, so anyway, that was sort of the the stage for this project um, that I had sort of fallen into. Um, I've been doing some work on how the brain is represented in news stories and in the media, and was just doing some background work on on Google, and so like Google the brain or something. I forget specifically, and. Because I'm also sort of an, uh, a nerd, other things. <laughs> they've got your algorithm yep, figured got out. Me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I did a project, you know, several years back, as we talked about in the in the last podcast, um, on at you know animated uh, su- superhero series. And so, yeah, Google has me figured out sometimes. <laughs> and so I was getting these little hits on um, Batman images. So there was this sort of image of like a phrenology of Batman's head. Mm-hmm. And a cartoon that came up, and um, we we were talking a little bit about um, Doctor Zare's work on Batman and concussions, mm-hmm. and I was sort of going to ignore all of that because I was going to do serious research on on the brain, and then this conference came up, and I and I thought this is the perfect outlet to you know to talk about how culture deals with the brain through the lens of. Of superhero cartoons, and also what a perfect character to pick. I mean, Batman's yes. been around for how long? I think it's eighty seven, years. It's yeah, eighty yeah. year anniversary this wow. year. Right? I remember mm-hmm. the, through the San Diego Comic Con, they had this whole huge Batman mm-hmm. um, kind of exhibit where they're talking about just kind of what it means for pop culture. And he's probably one of the most recognized superheroes like of all time. I mean, among like Superman, right? But. I mean, and the reason that I think it's this was the Batman, Batman whatever animated series uh, was a good showcase for thinking about the brain is because unlike most of those other heroes, he doesn't have any superpowers. And, you know, we've, you know, historically talked about Batman's mind as being sharp and intelligent and um, 
you know, processing things in a different way. So you have that aspect of, of, of Batman, Bruce Wayne. And then many of the uh, villains in Gotham um, are similarly not super powered, right? right? So his most, his biggest enemies, the Joker and the Riddler, are not super powered either, right? right? So it is this place to explore how we as a culture think about the brain and minds. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's something we talked about in a previous episode we did with origin stories how when these characters are crafted and their stories are written, like I think part of Batman's popularity is that he's not superhuman. He's not like right. a mutant. Like he's one of us that is kind of found a way to help the world make become a better place and doesn't have to rely on like some superhuman skills. It's just him and his technology. And his billions of dollars. And his billions of, <laughs> dollars. Billions of dollars. That is that is quite the advantage. His yeah. Alfred. His Alfred, yeah. Yeah. He has some resources. He does, yeah. Yeah. Uses them for good. Well, I, I want to dive in with one of the first things that you looked at here um, on mind control. So that's something that comes up in a lot of these types of like science fiction and fantasy type stories. Um I know I saw it recently in in the new Incredibles movie where where they actually had to issue like the warnings for people who have seizure disorders right. because oh, right. yeah. part of like the way that the mind control was played out was through like flashing lights and different things. But uh, you know it has those ties to like the 1950s, like the mid-century modernism mixed with the sci-fi where mind control was like a very common plot device. So you know, I one question I had is. With these kinds of stories, how does something like mind control that is kind of science fiction, what can we actually learn the more of the scientific side, like about the brain through the way mind control is talked about? Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that was, uh, like you mentioned, it's been around in the, the science fiction world for a long time. And and um, if you can go back further thinking about uh, the Dracula novel, or I was just watching the old 1930s Dracula movie, the same sort of. Mind, you can't see my hand motions right now, but I'm waving my fingers. Um, the same sort of mind control idea. So, um, you know, and so even over the course of the time of the the series, so I watched from 1968 uh, forward. Um, there's just changes even how they represent it, right? So in the early earlier series, Super Friends and things like that, it was sort of this representation of just waves. Like and, and 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 to me that picks up on the idea that we know that our brain produces brain waves, um, and um, it taps into you know a little bit of the technology like sonar, like radar, mm -hmm. and and how um, we interact with technology in that way. Uh, so that was sort of interesting, and it was it was a way of just really relied on visual effort to say. There's waves coming. It's messing with people's eyes, or that's hitting their heads, and that was saying something about how it's interfering with the the brain's ability to process. Right. Yeah. Um, then we move forward to the the more modern series from the the 90s forward, and um, we get sort of a different approach where these where the series started bringing in a bit more of understanding of again we're targeting a, a young audience, so they're not going deep into <laughs> neuroscience or anything. Um, but thinking about how um, minds can be sort of manipulated um, when we can get into them, right? And beyond just thinking about um, waves, right? So there's episodes that deal with 
headgear, right? And yeah. tapping into what we do when we, when we give people EEGs, the wiring, and then it gets into the computerized sort of microchips, nanotech. Um, I mean, there's still some elements of looking to the spirally light sort yeah. of thing. But what happened is that the characters would, and not all the time, but would allude to how what's happening um, could be impacting the brain in some way, either referring to the brain or um, in one episode talked about how um, the scarecrow's toxin affected a victim's amygdala, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. that's a pretty big word yeah. for, um, you know, a, a kid's show. So, um, and so it was alluding to some of these ideas in a more, I think, a more sophisticated way because at the same time this is all happening in, in the, this is like in the 90s with Batman animated series and forward. You know, we are in other parts of our culture talking more and more about the brain and it's more of at the forefront in other sorts of media. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we see these cartoons sort of tapping into that in that way. Yeah, I think it's really interesting uh, especially with some of the the earlier cartoons, like in the '60s, where they are, like, I mean, this is predating kind of our modern neuroimaging mm-hmm. like technology, but they're recognizing that the brain, like all other major organs in our body, can be measured. Like right. the, the brain has neurons, and neurons fire and have action potentials, and we know, like, when the brain's working, we can measure it. And so, for them to have the I guess the the insight and the knowledge to display that by using waves is pretty advanced. I mean, and they did have it was I can't remember the specific title. But one episode of Super Friends, and there were these like aliens somehow infiltrating things, um, where they showed at, at the Hall of Justice on the screen a picture of a brain being infiltrated by particles of some sort, and that was messing with people. Um, and so they, even in those days, right, they were sort of recognizing for the audience, right, that there's something beyond just psychic powers that there is more uh, more of a neurological basis essentially to what's happening yeah and it's too like i think interesting when you like we obviously aren't at the point where we're doing mind control but we do have a lot of therapeutic treatments that kind of are built around that idea of introducing signals or introducing something to the brain to change the way it works like I mean, it, it is a controversial practice, but like electroconvulsive therapy, ECT, is used for patients who have extreme and very persistent like depressive symptoms. And there you're introducing like electric shock waves to the brain that fundamentally changes the way that it operates. And it's not mind control, but it is that same idea of some kind of external foreign um, thing working on or acting against the brain. I mean, and even beyond just like we have very specific therapies, but there are, are products you can buy, right, that are designed to help you focus your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, my kids used to have, shout out kids. Uh, <laughs> yeah, do you want to say their names? Yeah, I didn't, no, I don't want to say their names, but uh, <laughs> shout out kids. Um, that um, they had this like, you can manipulate the force and they put, it was a device that you put on, like a headband you put on that somehow cap, and this, these are now more sophisticated than they were when I first bought one for them. But what happened, you know, had to relax your mind to get to those alpha waves. My my brain science stuff is old and in my uh, past. But so that you could make this ball float up and down inside uh, an air I f- chamber. I think I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. and, and so they have those sorts of products on the market, right? So we think about, we can think about them in terms of therapies in which we're essentially manipulating people's brains. But we're also doing it to ourselves, right? To just mm-hmm. 
and, and to our kids, apparently, yeah. to, to yeah. help them focus their minds on whatever the task is. Yeah. Yeah. I saw, I know you mentioned like the headgear thing. Um, I saw on Twitter that there's a couple of neuroscientists I follow and they there's one account that posts like bad neuroscience or bad like brain information and they posted a screenshot of a like a push sponsored ad they got for like a headgear that kind of looks like a like a headband across the forehead that was being marketed to cure depression and I was like you no longer need medication use our headband did it like jolt it, them or something I don't know what it did but okay. <laughs> yeah I know that's all I know so maybe there's more credible information out there than what I'm providing but yeah, still like that idea of there's ways that we can change the way the brain works. It's very, very interesting. And I I wonder, too, when we talk about like the Batman story and even things we mentioned in origin stories, is it important for the audience to see the character of Batman or Bruce Wayne not be immune, to be more impacted by these things the way like other characters who might be a little more invincible so is it important that we see Batman like impacted by? I mean, I think it's important for the sort of his, the history and personality of, of Bruce Wayne Batman, right? It highlights his his humanity compared to the other characters. It shows mm-hmm. that he has some vulnerability. Right. <laughs> um, you know, it. Uh, I think it, it. I mean, of course, it's an important plot device that he can he can fall victim to these these sorts of things. I mean. I will say in some episodes of the Justice League, the other Justice Leaguers also fell victim to him. Right. Uh, so it's not just Batman, but um, in a standalone series, it's it is an important part of, rem- in some ways, reminding the viewer that um, that these things are part. You, as a human being, you can't avoid these sorts of problems, right? Yeah. right. Um, and while Batman or Bruce Wayne, however you want to phrase it, has lots of outstanding qualities right that put him in the superhero category um, that he is still affected in some ways by these sorts of um, inputs if you will I think it's an important part of this the overall storyline I mean does he resist them yes can he fight his way through absolutely Um, does it really ever delay him too much no Uh, but it, it does create that vulnerability that the other heroes usually don't have. Yeah, I think a lot about, or actually just recently as we've been talking about Batman Forever, the third mm-hmm. movie, right? I mean, I, know. I mean, if you want to talk about it, we can. I know, I know. <laughs> Val Kilmer is really, but I mean, the storyline is with the Riddler. There is some uh, mind control right. within there too. More about knowing the thoughts than it is about manipulating right. thoughts. But during that whole movie, that monstrosity, I actually enjoyed it, but I was like eight when it came out. So. <laughs> But it's not the best one at all, right? Um, they do talk about kind of working through therapy and the, the dual right. identity piece right. was really big in that. And I think that's one of the more vulnerable spots where we actually saw mm-hmm. him be vulnerable within at least the cinematic mm-hmm. until the later ones came out. Um, so that thing of always, that idea of vulnerability uh, as a character and see that progress, I think is really important because in that part also, he is going to therapy. So seeing like, wow, there's this like this person that we idolize and he's a superhero, but at the end of the day, he's just a human. And what's going on inside the brain? What is going on? How does he deal, uh, deal with these dual roles that he has to kind of process? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he, I think it's really important that those stories are told because he does face a lot of challenging 
things and does go through a lot of hardship. So it would be very disingenuous to present it as if he's like not affected at all and is completely fine functioning normally. Um, especially when these stories are supposed to be like able to relate to an audience who might have experienced trauma similar to what Bruce experienced as a child. And I, I haven't seen the the ones that you were just mentioning, but I think that's great that they are showing like him getting help that he needs. One thing that you wrote in the paper that, I mean, it has to do with the mind control part mm-hmm. was how he refers to himself. I yes. love that snippet it's you took. Great. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, from Batman Beyond. It, exactly, um, yeah, with Harry McGinnis yes. and him. Uh, you know, and it's, and it's part of you know, part of the storylines with even though there's mind control happening, you know, is that that Bruce Wayne Batman, um, yes, it's just his vulnerability, but it shows his real ability to focus and control mm-hmm. his mind, um, even in very stressful circumstances. So, like when he confronts the riddle, Riddler, and he talks about how he you know he can control. Batman says, "I can control myself," um, even though Riddler's like controlling this whole virtual environment. Um, but there's a scene in in uh, Batman Beyond episode of uh, Shriek, and uh, the Shriek character uh, manipulates sound, hence the name Shriek, uh, <laughs> to uh, in this particular episode create uh, hallucinations. So it's a microchip sort of deal that um, that um, is affecting Bruce, and it makes him it makes it appear to everybody else that he's hearing voices. He's actually hearing voices because. Shriek has programmed this to, um, to taunt. Um, Br- this is an older Bruce Wayne to taunt Bruce. Um, I mean, it's essentially trying to push him into suicide. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the that's the goal. Um, so Bruce is hospitalized, uh, but Terry McGinnis, who's taken on the mantle of Batman in this series, um, has figured it out. Like, has figured out that Shriek has has done this thing and must be somehow manipulating Bruce, and it's underneath the bandage on his head, behind his ear. Um, and so when they get to the end of episode and Terry's figured it out and he's, he and Bruce managed to get away and, and, um, Bruce is back to his old self. There's this sort of closing scene and Terry and, and Bruce are talking and Terry asks, um, Bruce, you know, why were you so sure those voices weren't coming from you? Because the whole episode, Bruce is like, this is not, this, this some, there's something going on. It's not me. And Bruce's first response is, well, first, I know I'm not psychotic. <laughs> Terry's response is, I hope your other reasons are more convincing because we're not all convinced that Bruce is yeah. not on the balance. <laughs> yeah. and, and then Bruce replies, and second, the voice kept calling me Bruce. In my mind, that's not what I call myself, right? So Bruce, even though he, in these series, he's older, he's retired, he's passing things on and training Terry McGinnis thinks of himself as Batman. That's his first go-to. Like he yeah, doesn't really see cool. himself as as Bruce Wayne. As deep. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I know I was thinking too like how in therapeutic settings when we talk to kids, especially like below probably 12 or 13, having those kids understand what thoughts are or like mm-hmm. things like what's in your mind like we have a lot of kids who will say like they hear things in their head but it's just like their own narration, mm-hmm. not recognizing thoughts and even going beyond that to more treatment type things where like, we might have intrusive thoughts that just kind of pop into our head that we aren't like actively putting there. But we also have the ability to change our thoughts or recognize that like this thought's not rational or just because I'm having this thought doesn't mean that it's tied to an action. And how can we change those thoughts through like therapeutic services we give. I think that 
is a really cool example of him having insight about his own thoughts and mm -hmm. displaying that for kids is really cool. Um, so I have a little kind of interesting conversation that I would like to start. So the last time we we met for our episode many moons ago, we talked about um, kind of a, more of a speculation question where um, what would happen to Batman if he received uh, the very much needed therapeutic services? Would he still be Batman? Would he be different? Would um, we see him as an adult be different if he received those services in his youth? So I had an epiphany today, and I actually am surprised that I hadn't thought about this earlier, but something I, I realized when I was like stalking your Google Scholar page <laughs> was that you've done some work with uh, traumatic brain injury, mm -hmm. uh, which happens to be kind of my area of the, the psych world. Um, I do a lot of work with concussion and mild traumatic brain injury. And the more speculative question that came up was, has Batman ever suffered a concussion? Or if the way that we see Batman act in certain movies, is that because of concussive symptoms? So this has actually been researched, which as a someone who's just really into science, I was very happy to see like there's lots of articles out there. So I pulled one that I would like to go through. But any initial thoughts on? I mean, uh, so I mentioned Paul Zara's work earlier. He actually wrote a book called Becoming Batman. And he goes through uh, the physician, but he goes through um, not just the you guess like the, all the physical training that Bruce Wayne would have to go through to even just do what he does, right? Because he's not a superhuman. So it goes through all the sorts of, um, you know, body conditioning and martial arts training. And then mm -hmm. he does get into talking about um, how does someone withstand so much injury all the yeah. time. And um, he, he, he has another article that kind of actually went through and counted in the movies the concussive events. Yes. Um, so in the movies, definitely. I mean... The, and then, and then the the um, animated series. I mean, clearly, anybody watching some of them, like, yeah, when you get knocked on the head that hard, um, he rarely ever gets knocked out. Which is like, he'll get sometimes see stars, but um, like sometimes literally see stars. Uh, but it's rarely ever like just stone cold knocked out. Okay. And um, when he is, there's various things that happen. Like he has a momentary or a spam where he loses his memory. Um, uh, there are some some such like he lost his vision at one point and they worked up some gear to help him see in sonar and uh, those sorts of things. But uh, and there was one episode in The Batman, which is a, a early 2000s series where he was beat up pretty badly by Bane in that in this mm -hmm. particular series. And Alfred basically had to just peel him off the street and nurse. Like, and, they, and in this back cave, they have like a whole hospital ward, basically. Oh, okay. mm -hmm. um, and so, Alfred was also and, a uh, physician. Yeah, a medic yeah. of some oh, of like, so yeah. He, yeah, so, um, and so they always are t like, so Alfred and, um, you know, they're trying to get Batman or Bruce to retire. It's like, I mean, he, he did convalesce for a while in that particular episode, but by and large, no. I mean, he's <laughs> been any other real human being right. that suffered this. Uh, and, and Paul Zier's book talks about he probably could really only keep up Bruce Wayne through a real person, even with all his training could probably only keep up being Batman for like five years at most yeah, because yeah. of the toll it just would yeah. take on him also, physically and, and mentally. Yeah. Also the sleep. I don't think he sleeps very yeah, often too, <laughs> yeah. but sleep, there's also, yeah. I've seen about the dark Knight returns, uh, the Frank Miller book, right. Yeah. 
Um, and there's also a movie out on that one. But he fights Superman and he gets demolished by Superman until he figures out. I don't want to spoiler alert this for anybody, but <laughs> until he figures it out. Yeah. But um, using kryptonite. <laughs> there's a spoiler. Uh, I think. We, I mean, yeah. but even like if you watch uh, the, the Batman v Superman movie, right? So Bat, so he like invents mm. this big armor suit. Well, sorry, yeah. like that's still gonna, you're still going to get a concussion. Right. Like I don't care. Your body may not break, but that's not how concussions work, right? Yeah. Um, but he takes a lot of blows from yeah. Superman, who apparently was not trying to kill him, because nope. clearly could have very easily. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I pulled the <laughs> the Paul Zier article. Um, Can concussion constrain the caped crusader? Um, so they he looked at um, kind of the the cinematic Batman universe. So starting from 1943 up into uh, Batman v Superman with Ben Affleck in 2016. Um, so the data that they have on this is really interesting. Um, so we're talking about concussive events. So events that could have potentially resulted in a concussion, things with a visibly impactful, forceful hit, um, things that would result in that concussion. Uh, so what they found across those 10 films, uh, were 176 separate potentially concussive events. Um, so that, that's where they started, and then they kind of looked at different, um, like different ways to to break that number down more. Uh, so his average exposure to a concussive event uh, was six point five events per hour. So per hour meaning of the film, six point five concussive events. Okay. Then they looked at um, like which movies had more or less. Um, could you guess which movie had the most concussive events? Oof. And this is all the movies? So starting with the serials back in, for, in the 40s? Yes. The first one was called The Electrical Brain. You could look it up on YouTube. <laughs> I know, you're the expert here. <laughs> um, gosh. I, you know, and I've read the article and I don't remember, but... Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a guess. Okay. I'm going to guess... Oof, I don't know to go like way back or I'm just gonna go Batman 1984, but I I I I'm gonna say the Michael Keaton Batman. So it's yeah, like, uh, 89. Oh, was it 89? Yeah. I thought, oh man, sorry. I was way off. Sorry. Look at I'm really bad right now. Or I'm just I'm just old. It That's was fine. No. It was 89. Um, so that one came in at 4.3 exposures. Okay. Which was not the most. The most is Batman v Superman at 10.3. I mean, yeah. There's a lot of fighting in that. Yes. Yeah. And falling and the whole mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Uh, well, then they looked at the actors who played Batman to see, like, you know, what was their exposure. Um, so that that was, ex like, for, like, Christian Bale, who's been in multiple, um, looked at that across movies. So Christian Bale had 7.9 exposures, and Michael Keaton had four exposures. So very clearly... <laughs> Probably should be worried about some some concussions for, <laughs> yeah. for Batman. You know, and what's fascinating about, I mean, lots of things are fascinating about it, but what's really interesting is that in, in Batman Beyond, which is the aged Bruce Wayne, I mean, Bruce Wayne is still, I mean, the, the artwork is very similar, so still cut in that very rectangular mm -hmm. style, um, and is a little stooped over and, still, and walks with a cane, but you would never know that he had 150 almost 200 concussions, right? Because his his mind is still sharp, right? So he's mm -hmm, coaching yeah. Terry um, from behind the, the computer in the Batcave through all, you know, inventing all of these things 
um, for Terry to use a new bat suit and, and the whole thing. So, um, so you would never know, you know, anybody else, you take a football yeah. player, right? That much repeated head trauma, that's typically problematic for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And they, they actually end the article with kind of an interesting argument. So something in the, the concussion or like traumatic brain injury world that has come up very recently as a hot button issue is CTE. And so, you know, when you have those multiple sustained concussions, it would result in potentially more uh, chronic damage to the brain, which is um, what CTE is connected with. Um, So they argue about how we see, um, you know, full disclosure, I haven't seen Batman v Superman because I heard many bad It was reviews. just fine. And one room was in it, so that made it all the better. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> how you see this character shift for him where he becomes a very different Batman in that movie versus some of right. the previous yeah. iterations and how um, if we assume he's had 100 and whatever, 76 potentially concussive events up to that point, um, if we do become concerned with the potential of CTE, maybe that explains why he has this interesting characterological shift in the Batman world. But yeah, he's also a lot older than in the Batman versus older. Superman. I mean, I full disclosure, I really liked Ben Affleck's portrayal. I liked um, it too. I thought it was great because just because of what you mentioned, right? So we have an older Bruce Wayne who's been through a lot, um, is jaded by the destruction he sees, um, mm-hmm. and um, certainly really, really grumpy. Um, and murdery, right? So, um, and it certainly could be attributed to thinking about, I mean, I think it's in part just his life experiences led him to that. Um, and he's, even in, in the Just League cartoons, is always sort of one off, like the the, guard, the guardian of the guardians sort of thing. Um, and so he's in that role in, the, in, in Batman v Superman, you know, watching these other, you know, what do I need to do to make sure the world is safe? And right. so, um, but he's, it clearly can be compromised to some regard in terms of the very rigidness of his thinking where mm-hmm. it's, it seems like an early receipt is less, less rigid right? in, his, in his sort of thinking about the nature of the world. Yeah. Well, I thought about when I was reading your article, I thought about Doom, the Justice League Doom, mm-hmm. where Vandal Savage comes and then takes all of his ideas on how to stop every single member mm-hmm. of the Justice League, including himself. Mm-hmm. And then he uses that against them because he just has a different way of like thinking about mm-hmm. how to protect the world because he can't do it physically like right. forever. Right. So, um, yeah, that's my point on that. Yeah. <laughs> well, what we like to do, um, you know, we've, we've been doing the spotlight uh, series here, and we are ending those with our our new favorite segment of the show, which we call "What About You?" A week in review. Came up with that last time, and now we're just we're rolling with it. Um, so after the break, we're going to talk through um, things that you might be reading, watching, or listening to. Okay. And uh, so yeah, so stay tuned for that. All right. Thanks for sticking with us to the end here. So we are going to do our What About You this week in review, um, talking about what we're reading, watching, or listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have listened to our last episode with Dr. Susan Swear, you know that we now have a community Spotify playlist. Uh, we will link that whenever we post this episode. Uh, so definitely check that out to hear what we're listening to currently. We update it Almost daily, I feel like I come across a song. I'm like, oh yeah, I need to need to add that. 
Yeah, um, you've been adding a lot to the yeah. playlist. I remember like I checked it one day. I'm like, oh wow, like Cody just added like a yeah. ton of songs. Yeah. Well, I've never really made a, a playlist on Spotify before. <laughs> oh. I'm like, oh, okay. oh man, I'm I do that all the time. Yeah. I have a playlist for everything. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely check that out if you're interested in listening to good music. Um, if not, then don't. So let's go through. Um, anyone have something that they feel really passionate about getting on the airwaves right now? I do, actually, and I okay. heard it today. And I'm going to throw my pop in here later on because I want to hear what he's listening to or watching. He watches a lot of TV. But um, I actually listened to this um, song. After, okay, here's how it actually worked. I was listening to the the. Psycho Babble playlist, and you know after the last song, then it c- c- uh, continues like throwing songs that are similar yes. but not on there. So Sneaky an like art, that. yeah, artist came on Anderson East, and he did a remake of Mariah Carey's "Always Be My Baby." Oh, yeah. So I threw it okay. on there, but it is super jazzy, bluesy. He sounds like he could play at the Zoo Bar downtown in yeah. Lincoln. It's one of like one of the more established uh, shout out. blues. Yeah, shout out. He could sponsor us if you want, <laughs> please. <laughs> no, but uh. Um, it was a really cool song, so I was like, ah, "I'm gonna have to mention oh. that today." Yeah, oh, very cool. cool. Yeah, I um, have one that I actually I discovered down like a really long winding YouTube rabbit hole. Um, I actually posted about it on Facebook, but it's this guy. His name is Teddy Swims. Teddy he, Swims. That's his. I think that's his real name. I don't know. <laughs> that can't be his real name. Yeah, but he's this really large. A white man, full beard and like covered head to toe in tattoos, but sings like just like a soulful angel. Oof. And he has done some covers. He has like three original songs on Spotify, which are now on our playlist. Um, and he's done a lot of covers on YouTube. So I posted, um, he did a really good one of Amy Winehouse's Valerie. Oh, I love that song. Um, is that on the playlist? It is not because it's not on Spotify. Oh. Um, but there, he also covered uh, Khalid's Talk. Um, nice. He has kind of a, a Khalidi type of voice. Cool. Um, He's from El Paso. Shout out to EP. Yeah, yeah, so that's who I am listening to right now. So, cool. Dr. KB, what about you? Um, well, I'm glad that Raul's dad is here because I'm going to age myself a little bit and also try <laughs> to be cooler than Sue, swear. Um, <laughs> Burn. <laughs> hey, yeah. Sue. Uh, no, if, so if, if you're uh, a Beatles fan, so you know it was the 50th anniversary of Abbey Road uh, last week. And so I've been listening to that again. Uh, and I don't have a specific song off of that because I just listen to the album because that's how it's supposed to be listened to. Um, so if you all want to pick a song or two, you can. Well, my dad loves also the Beatles. All right, great. Uh, so that's what I've been probably most, that and listening to just sort of uh, Danny Elfman playlists on on Spotify. You are just full on Batman, aren't well, you? But also, Danny Elfman has a lot of He does. He does a lot of scores. Um, but he does the Batman. Yeah, it does the Batman score. I didn't even yeah. think about that. But I guess I'm sort of in that uh, Elfman writes a lot of uh, very moody scores and so must be in that place between yeah. that and abbey road and he worked with um oh my god uh tim burton right like yeah. he does a lot of stuff with tim mm-hmm. burton mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. seems like a good pair then yeah yeah, yeah. Makes sense. hey pop how about you but how about give me more than one word this time <laughs> it would be really cool anything you're listening to watching reading <clears throat> i've been reading this book about uh healing the body with uh changing your way of thinking but i can't think of the author or whatever because I have it in my backpack and everywhere I go I carry it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I pull it out and sometimes I don't. 
And I meant to read it, but there was this lady sitting next to me, and she was leaning on me, so I couldn't really read it. <laughs> but it was very interesting. It's about this guy that has an accident, and they told him that he would never be able to walk. So they told him, this is your options. And he is a, a doctor in uh, that kind of medicine where you fix broken bones and all that. And he gets some of his uh, colleagues to give him advice, and they tell him, well, you need to put a rod in your spine, and we need to put all the screws and all that. And he goes, nope, not doing it. And he started doing what he what he studied, which is mind over matter. And he healed himself wow. in six months. Holy cow. He wow. was never going to be able to. And he started walking in six months. Wow. 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 Well, if you want, you can give me the name when we get home, and then yeah. I can add it to yeah. the. Uh, That's really cool. We can add the, it, repost it whenever yeah. we send this episode out. That's awesome, Pop. Yeah. I do have one for what I'm watching. So something that I I really enjoy doing is watching bad scary movies. Yeah, you love <laughs> B movies. Are we, you on that are you on that uh new streaming horror site? I think it's called Shudder. I'm not, but or something. I feel like oh, yeah, I need to be. be now, huh? yeah. I'm probably get that for you for Christmas. Okay. And I'll let yourself like knock yourself out yeah. on mm-hmm. B movies. Yeah. So it's like as we're recording this, it's October second, which means we're we're getting a lot more scary movie content out there. Um on Hulu, Hulu has like a separate category now on their homepage called Huluween. And <laughs> so I I go through that trying to find like you can kind of tell if it's going to be a like there's like bad scary movies that take themselves seriously and then there's bad scary movies that know they're bad. And so it's a different experience, but I like the ones that are bad but are trying so hard to be good. So the one that I watched recently that I have recommended to a couple of people is called Mom and Dad. Oh, God. And it features Nicolas Cage and Selma Blair. (laughs) And the whole premise is that in this town, um, there's some kind of weird psychosis where um, all of the parents are, like, compulsed to murder their specific children. So parents trying to kill their own kids. And so Nicolas Cage and Selma Blair go crazy trying to kill their children but it's awful because it's Nicolas Cage overacting and in a bad movie yeah in a bad movie and (laughs) so it's really you know if you're like me and like scary movies but also ones that are bad and like laughing at Nicolas Cage it's definitely definitely the one for you fun fact about Nicolas Cage and DC but he was supposed to be Superman and they had him try out the Superman outfit. There's photos of him in Superman gear, and then it never went to production. Yeah. I mean, his oldest son is named Cal L. Oh, I'm not kidding. <laughs> <I don't... laughs> um, and he played Spider Noir in the yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Spider in so uh, Spider Man um, yeah. Enter the Spider Verse. Yes. Right. Oh, I love that oh. movie. We talked about that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Are you watching anything? Um. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. That's a dumb question. But, I mean, I'm, wa- <laughs> yeah, I mean <laughs> I'm watching stuff. Yeah. So I uh, I do like, uh, I've been watching a lot of old sci-fi movies just because they're fun. Um, but I, the series that ended just recently that was on AMC, Nosferatu. Mm-hmm, um, Zachary mm-hmm. Quinto was in it. Um, I love it was, him. Yeah. And it was a great, um, and I was not, I had not read the book. It's based on a book by Joe Hill, I think, who was Stephen King's son. Um, and it was really you know, it's it's a horror type thing because it's sort of like a soul vampire and there's some murdery stuff. Um, but um, 
it's really, I think, to me, it's intriguing because it's about, um, you know, it's this girl from the wrong side of tracks, basically, who develops these sort of powers, um, psychic powers, and Zachary Quinto's character, Nosferatu, is trying to do away with her because she can track him, and he's been you know, kidnapping, abducting children, taking them to Christmas Town, and turning them into soul vampires. So it's, it was really fascinating to me, having not been familiar with any of the, the, the book or anything around this particular um, story other than knowing the connection of the Nosferatu sort of pop culture right. um, vampire thing. So it was really sort of fun and not super, super scary. I mean, it's more creepy than anything yeah, else. Right. It, was a, it was a fun series. Would you recommend it? Yeah, I would. Yeah. Cool. Let's see. What am I watching? I am watching... Actually, I saw a movie last night, uh, a couple movies. Um, my pop and I watched Aladdin the live action one, because that was my favorite, mm. one of my favorite Disney's growing up. That one and probably um, Robin Hood. That one's fun. Huda Lolly. And uh, we watched Vice last night, huh, Pop? Um, the one about Dick Cheney. Oh. Holy oh. moly. That was, it was a weird, it wasn't what I expected, but it was pretty educational, let's just say. <laughs> we won't get too much into the <laughs> logistics of it, huh? But I don't know. And then you've been watching TV like, so I feel bad. I mean, being a PhD student, you're always being being a PhD professor. You're always on the go. I don't know how you do it. Having your kiddos, you're you know you're married. You have everything <laughs> well, going on. Well, that's why I'm just finishing a series that was on during the summer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I feel bad because I've been leaving my uh, my pop at home um, while I'm doing all of the stuff we have to do for lab work and then um, just work in general, a GA. Um, so he's been at home all day watching TV, <laughs> or I don't know what you're doing at home, but. <laughs> What are you doing? What are you, what are you watching? Cooking and picking up after you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, It's actually nice because I come home and there's dinner. I'm like, oh, wow. And then then it's clean. And I'm like, wow, just stay <laughs> so here forever. Different. I wish I had you here all the time. But yeah, anyways. <laughs> you were watching, what, FBI or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Pop. Well, <laughs> as we wind this out, as a, a reminder, you know that you can find us on all the social medias, mm -hmm. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. The easiest way to do that is by going to kzum.org slash uh, psychobabble, where we've put together all of the information you need to yes. get us on social media, like Cody said. Yeah, you can see pictures of us doing cool stuff around town. Yeah. And you can find all of our episodes there. Um, yeah, it's like our, our home base. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks again to Dr. Lisa Court Butler Thank for joining you. us yeah. today for uh, another episode of Psychobabble. Yeah, it was so awesome having you here. And thanks, Pop, for stopping by and just being here anyway. Yeah. Do you guys want to say any final thoughts or? No, I. Um... I thank you for having me back. I couldn't say yes fast enough. It was just so much fun. So thank you. We'll find a way to get you back yeah. on Great. again. Yeah. Well, round three again for us is out there. Um, but until next time, cheers. Later. Later.